comes from John, 17th chapter, verses 19 through 19. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you gave me, because they are yours. Everything that is mine is yours, and everything that is yours is mine. I have been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Even as I'm coming to you, Holy Father, watch over them in your name, the name you gave me, that they will be one, just as we are one. When I was with them, I watched over them in your name, the name you gave me, and I kept them safe. None of them were lost except the one who was destined for destruction. So that scripture would be fulfilled. Now I'm coming to you, and I say these things while I am in the world, so that they can share completely in my joy. I gave your word to them, and the world hated them, because they don't belong to this world, just as I don't belong to this world. I'm not asking that you take them out of this world but that you keep them safe from the evil one. They don't belong to this world, just as I don't belong to this world. Make them holy in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I made myself holy on their behalf, so that they also would be made holy and true. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Frank. Friends, please pray with me and for me. Lord Jesus, you are praying for us. You are Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, and yet you look at us. You see us just a speck in this universe. And you pray for us. Lord Jesus, may we respond to your prayers with open hearts, open minds, and open souls so that we can be your faithful and loving people in the world, God. And God, right now, give me just another speck, but your speck. Give me the wisdom to respond to your prayers with a message that will reflect you in who you call us to be, people in the world, but not of it. Amen. Throughout the Bible, there is a consistent theme. Fear not. Don't be controlled by fear. We see that in multiple Old Testament stories. We see that in, very early in the New Testament when the angel Gabriel goes to a recently impregnated Mary who has been told that she's going to give birth to the Savior kind of an un, uh, understandable reason 
to be fearful, Gabriel says, fear not. And then Jesus, throughout his ministry, practically has to remind his disciples not to be afraid every time he wakes up from a nap. And Jesus seemed to take naps pretty often. God is present. God hasn't left us. Fear not. And yet, the world witnesses a very fearful church at times. Fear this group of people, or it's fear that group of people. Be afraid of the secular world. Keep yourselves away from it so that you won't get infected with what they're trying to teach us. And the result of that is that we've become tempted to stay in our little holy huddles where we don't engage with the people of our community. I'm not saying God doesn't call us to use wisdom. I mean, just think of the past couple of years, we needed some serious wisdom. COVID wasn't a time for fear, it was a time for wisdom. Living without fear doesn't mean we act recklessly. Quite frankly, there are some parts of town that you don't want to be at in two o'clock in the morning. Wisdom, not fear. So we walk away from the fear, but what do we walk toward? God makes it clear that we are called to walk toward love. Living a life away from fear is meant to live a life with love. And not just a feel-good, sentimental type of love. You know, the problem we have in our English language is that love is used in so many different ways. I'll tell my wife I love her every day. And I also say this weekend that I love that football season is starting. Well, this coming Thursday night may test those two loves, go Lions. Those two things are still not the same type of love. So what is the type of love that Jesus is calling us to in, here in John 17? It's holy love. Verse 17 from our reading. Make them holy. Holy means to be set apart. It means that we're going to fit out at times rather than fit in. It means we hold some different values and we'll live differently than some of those around us. And then verse 18 comes. 
right after that command to Jesus wishing for us to be holy, Jesus also tells the disciples, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Well, why was Jesus sent into the world? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that God gave God's only begotten Son so that we will, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then right after that, in John 3, 17, God didn't send Jesus to judge the world, which means we're not the ones to judge it either, but he sends God in love so that the world might be saved through Jesus. And by sending Jesus, this isn't some type of long-distance act. The love of Jesus is a neighborhood type of love, a love that is proximate, a type of love that means we are living in the world, that we live in proximity to our neighbors. We don't separate ourselves from them. And that same type of love that still calls us to be holy, that we live in proximity and we live differently. Friends, I am all for personal piety, living pious lives of self-control, simplicity, that are filled, lives that are filled with prayer, scripture reading, and study. All of that needs to be part of our spiritual lives. But the, a pious life is not a private life. When our piety separates us from our neighbors, then our piety has lost its power. A piety that doesn't lead us to a holy love isn't going to make our neighborhood, city, or nation, or world on earth as it is in heaven. Because except when it's a pandemic, loving someone means you have to get proximate to them means you have to see the eyes, interact in a way that brings affect, that lets them impact you. And in recent years, more and more churches have started to do what's called pub theology, where a group from the church would meet at a local pub and talk about the Bible and faith and would invite the community to join them to have meaningful conversation. They don't gather for drinking. They gather for community. Now, people might have a drink while they're there, and let's remember that Jesus did supply wine at a wedding, just saying. But the purpose of being was to bring ministry into the world where people are at. You know, so far in the series every week, I've given just the short principles for each topic we're talking about. Last week, I said that worship grows our spiritual roots, 
while service grows our spiritual wings. Worship grows our spiritual roots, while service grows our spiritual wings. This week, when we look at being in the world and not of the world, I want you to know that being in the world allows us to love, and not being of the world allows us to be holy. Being in the world allows us to love, and not being of the world allows us to be holy. And living into these principles allow us to be what's called a differentiated self. Now this is a psychological term, but it has spiritual truth. And essentially, a differentiated self is being who you are and not trying to be who you are not. Being who you are and not being who you aren't. And when we are able to be that differentiated self, the result is that we are neither isolating ourselves off into our own private silo, nor are we, you know, differing yourself. We hold relationships, we exist in community, and we are also able to be our own individual self amidst others. We don't just surround ourselves with people who are exactly like us, and we also don't, when we surround ourselves with people who are different, we don't become like them just to fit in either. When somebody lives into their differentiated selves, it creates a connection with others. We can hold relationships with others, but those relationships neither add nor take away any of our sacred worth. A differentiated self is able to recognize the sacred worth that has come from God for each and every one of us, and we are able to live into that without needing the validation or, disappro- or d- disapproval of others. We still need relationships. God has created us for community. God has said since the very beginning, it is not good for us to be alone. We need relationships, but not the approval. Because we have accepted who God has created us to be. And you know the beautiful part about that? Is that when we accept ourselves, it becomes a whole lot easier to accept others. And to not try to force others into who we think they should be. Friends, Jesus was an expert at this. How many times did people come to Jesus and expect or even demand that he act a certain way? And he goes and acts the other way. Think of his trial. He's talking, staying connected to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate is trying to lure him and get him to like abandon his values, kind of convince him that, you know, the way towards survival is to be something he is not. And Jesus says no. And yet he keeps that connection. 
In the midst of all his adult ministry, Jesus always stays connected with the people who he is with. Jesus doesn't walk away from people, even though sometimes they walked away from him. He keeps the relationship open. And amidst that, he doesn't allow the other people present with him to change who he is. And friends, this is because he had something that can exist for every single one of us too. It happened at his baptism. Jesus knew his self-worth because at his baptism, God proclaimed that he was pleased with him. And that was enough. That was enough for Jesus, that you are my child who I am well pleased with. Nothing more was needed and nothing less. And friends, this is why Jesus also tells his disciples that and sometimes it's just not going to work out. That some will receive you, some will not, and sometimes you do have to walk away. Because our self-worth is not dependent on another person's reception to us. The relationships we have being in the community should form us, should challenge us even, but we don't depend on them for our sacred worth. We stay connected with them, but we don't change who God has called us to be just because another person disagrees with us. And this is how we are able to faithfully live in the world and not be of the world. And you know, in John, that first verse we read, John 17, 9, Jesus says he isn't praying for the world. And that doesn't sound a whole lot like the Jesus we know. Well, friends, he isn't saying that he's not praying for people. He's saying that he has revealed all of himself that he possibly can. He has done everything he has been called to do, and some people just didn't welcome him. Now, we know the full story today, and we wonder, how can anybody not have welcomed Jesus? But here is what happened. Those who are using their own free will to turn their gaze away from God's love and God's requirements how to live, Jesus is saying, there's nothing more at this time I can do. Jesus recognized that sometimes he and even we can do everything we can do when we simply can't force Jesus onto people. We invite, we care, we love, and sometimes maybe we also have to move on. That's what Jesus is saying here when he says that he's not praying for the world. He's saying he is going to focus on those who have heard and responded, as messy as those disciples were, and good Lord Almighty, were they messy, but they were still willing to keep that connection, to keep 
following. And he is saying that he is praying for them. And he is saying that he is praying for you. He is praying for you. The Savior, Creator, Redeemer prays for you. And he doesn't pray for us to stay in our own silos. He prays for us to go into the world, to build connections with people. Those connections don't mean that, don't dictate who we are called to be or how we're supposed to live, but we are able to be present with them and also be our own selves. And because Jesus is praying for us, we don't have to be afraid of getting our hands a little dirty. Jesus isn't afraid of a dirty church. Jesus is afraid of a church that has lost its purpose. This is what John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, called dead religion. His greatest fear was not that Methodist churches would die, it's that the people would be dead. This is what he wrote. I'm not afraid that the people called Methodist should ever cease to exist in Europe or America but I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast both the doctrine, spirit, and discipline with which they first set out. Wesley was not afraid of churches dying. Wesley wasn't afraid of churches dying. He was afraid of believers being dead. The key to the life of a church is us being alive, of us being a church that's not just keeping our doors open for the sake of keeping our doors open, but us keeping our doors open for the sake of a mission, a vision that is greater than ourselves. And friends, when we lose that purpose or vision, when we forget why we exist, that's when we aren't connected toward being in the world. When we have lost our connection to our neighborhoods, the place where God has placed us with our neighbors, with our people, we have lost our why. And also we can lose it when maybe we live in the world, but we're not acting any differently. When we live in this fear and develop this mind of self-preservation where 
we just feel like we have to constantly watch out for anything that might get us. We forget that Jesus is praying for us to go into the world. If Jesus doesn't want God to take us out of the world, then we shouldn't take ourselves out of it either. But we also better not forget who Christ calls us to be when we are in that world. And yes, we can do both of those things. And we can do both of those things because just like Jesus lived into his differentiated self, knowing that he was a beloved child of God, that is the same gift that we have. We can rest in our belovedness just like Christ did at his baptism. Whenever church reformer Martin Luther was struggling in his spiritual life, um, he was a rather cranky guy who would allegedly throw ink pots around his living quarters at whatever was he thought was causing him to stumble. Well, after that, he would also get up and say and tell himself, and he would shout it, I am baptized. He would remind himself that he was God's beloved. Cranky old Martin was God's beloved, and there was not a gosh darn dad dumb ever loving thing he could do about it. And we can do that same thing. We can proclaim that we are God's beloved, baptized children, that we belong to God. Amen. We are home in God's hands. And that's why Jesus prays for us. Because as we are held in God's hands, we can get a little dirty. We can go out into the world and stay true to who God has called us to be. And that's why we are not afraid of the world, a world that God still claims as good and loves because we know whom we belong to. Thanks be to God, amen.